Welcome to episode 208 of This Week in Linux, a podcast from the Tux Digital Network. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell, and this episode of Twill was recorded live on August 6th, 2022. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, and even some core news with the Linux kernel itself. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Did you know that This Week in Linux is part of the Tux Digital Network? Well, if you did, that's great, and thanks for being a part of the Tux Digital community. But if not, then I've got some great news for you, because this means you get to experience content from the greatest Linux content creation network ever made. Obviously, I'm not biased at all. This is objectionable fact that I decided was true. So be sure to check out all the great content we have at Tux Digital, like the Destination Linux podcast, the Pseudo Show, the Hardware Addicts podcast, Linux Out Loud, and our YouTube channels. So you can check out all this great content by going to tuxdigital.com. The first topic for today is, of course, the namesake of the show, and that is because there's a new version of the Linux kernel that has been released, and it includes a lot of new features and hardware support. I'll have links in the, in the show notes for the full breakdown of what is new in Linux 5.19, but let's talk about some highlights for this release. First up, we have the initial long arch CPU support. Z standard or ZSTD compressed firmware has been added. They've also been continuing work for the AMD Zen 4 processors with the new IBS extensions, Perfmon V2, and other improvements. Also speaking of AMD, they have continued enablement for AMD RDNA 3, and there's also been work for Intel with more work done for the Intel GPUs, the DG2 slash Alchemist GPUs, with the next release of the kernel having fairly solid support expected for the Intel GPUs. And speaking of Intel, there's also been work for the Intel Idle Driver support for Alder Lake and initial Raptor Lake P graphics support as well. And many nice performance improvements are in the Linux 5.19 kernel release. Also in the release announcement, Linus Torvalds wrote about using an ARM-based MacBook under Linux thanks to the work of the Asahi Linux project to release this version of the kernel. Linus said, On a personal note, the most interesting part here is that I did the release and am writing this on an ARM64 laptop. It's something I've been waiting for for a long time, and it's finally re reality, thanks to the Asahi team. We've, at, we've had ARM64 hardware around running Linux for a long time, but none of it has really been usable as a development platform until now. It's the third time I'm using hardware from Apple for Linux development. I did it many years ago for the PowerPC development and PPC970 machine. And then a decade plus ago when the MacBook Air was the only real thin and light laptop around, and now as an ARM64 platform. Not that I've used it for any real work, I literally have only been doing testing builds and boots and now the actual release tagging. But I'm trying to make sure that the next time I travel, I can travel with this as a laptop and finally dogfooting the ARM64 side too. So this is really interesting because a lot of people have, you know, wondered about why there's this work being done to have support of Linux on Apple hardware, specifically the M1 or the M2 chips and stuff like that. And... Some people are naysayers about it, 
And I'm really happy to see that Linus Torvalds is in the positive side because I think, in, in my opinion, it's important for this hardware to be supported because there are people who want to use this kind of hardware. And also there are people who are on the Apple side who would, might want to use Linux and not supporting it would eliminate a big group of people who wouldn't have the option to try Linux. So I'm really happy that the Asahi Linux project exists and is making that work happen. Uh, also in this release... We got some word from Linus that the 5.20 release might instead be called Linux 6.0. He says, I'll likely call it 6.0 since I'm starting to worry about getting confused by big numbers again. Now, that's that's pretty funny, but there is a reason for that. This is It's interesting because there is some debate as to why this next version is going to be 6.0 instead of being 5.20. And if it does happen that way, it's just because Linus wanted it to be, not any real you know, vast reason for it. There isn't a lot of consistency as to when and why the Linux kernel jumps major versions. Although the next release looks like to be a massive release. So I understand why some people are saying that it's probably because it's a big major release. That's why they're changing the major number. Maybe that's a coincidence, maybe not. But it's likely because Linus got tired of the large number releases many years ago, making it so that after 0.19 or 0.20, that it will just jump to the next major version. So like with the series 3.x, they switched to 4.0 after 3.19, and the 5.0 switched after 4.20, which I think they just wanted to have 4.20 exist. It's not important. The reason I said Linus got tired of the large version numbers is because the version before 3.x series was, the latest version from before, was 2.6.39, and that was released on May 18th, 2011. With the first release of the 2.6 series being December 27th, 2003. That's right. That's over seven years of essentially the same major version number. So eventually Linus decided to just start bumping the versions whenever he felt like it was time to do it. And that's why I think that they're choosing to do it based on the number rather than what is actually in the kernel. Because there's a lot of big updates to the kernel, typically on every release. So... There you go. There's some little history for you. If you'd like to learn more about this latest release of 5.19 for the Linux kernel, you'll find links in the show notes. The latest release of Linux Mint is out with Linux Mint 21. And Linux Mint 21 comes with three different desktop options, including Cinnamon 5.4, XFCE 4.16, and Mate 1.26. Linux Mint 21 has been rebased on top of the latest Ubuntu LTS with Ubuntu 22.04. This means a lot of the underlying core components of the distribution have been updated to the newer versions, and it also means better hardware support thanks to the newer kernel version and updated Mesa drivers. As this is based on Ubuntu LTS, it isn't going to be the latest version of the Linux kernel that we just talked about, but certainly an improvement to the previous version used in Linux Mint 20. Linux Mint has also made some other changes to this release by replacing Blueberry with Blueman for uh, Bluetooth handling. They have added a new XApp thumbnailers component for handling a WebP, app image, EPUB, MP3, and raw file types in their file manager, which is fantastic. The more thumbnail support you have, the better. I just actually dealt with that myself, having to. I was I was actually trying to decide what file was what based on the thumbnail, and I had to kind. And if I didn't have the thumbnail, it would be a little bit difficult. 
So I, I think that it is important. While it might not seem an important feature, I do think it is. Uh, also, a process monitor was added to report automated updates and system snapshots in the background and many more features. But the biggest change to the Cinnamon 5.4 desktop that I want to talk about is the rebasing of its window manager, Muffin, to use a more updated version of Mutter with Mutter 3.36. Mutter is the upstream window manager and compositor for GNOME, and this is a much-needed change for Cinnamon as the previous version of Muffin was based on Mutter 3.2, which was released in 2011. This is very good to see for the window manager of Linux Mint Cinnamon desktop, though. I do hope that Future updates can be done much more frequently as this version is currently two years out of date as it is right now in regards to the latest version of Mutter. But we'll need to, you know, wait and see what happens with the compatibility improvements and that sort of thing in the, for the future versions of Cinnamon, such as support for Wayland Display Server and other things. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to this update to Mutter. So if you have used Linux Mint in the past and had some issues with Windows not working properly or not loading properly, that might be fixed in this latest version thanks to the update to Mutter for Muffin. And if you want to have a, you want to check out an episode of Destination Linux that was a really fun and weird conversation about why uh, Ryan thinks that Linux Mint should change their their window manager or their compositor from muffin to cupcake you should check that out i'll have that linked in the show notes it's a weird conversation but i think it has some validity <laughs> a little bit maybe anyway linux mint has a lot of benefits to using it but for me the the, the only really big downside for was the upgrade process because it was kind of problematic in terms of having to upgrade every two years now if you were using the point releases so if you had 20 then 20.1 the upgrades were fine but there was issues every two years from the different LTS updates, such as 19 to 20 was a bit of a problem. Now, this was an expected issue every two years to happen, and that's why I was really happy to see with this latest version of Linux Mint 21 that they've put effort into fixing these issues in regards to the upgrades, because they have had a new GUI upgrade tool that should make it much, much easier for existing Mint 20.3 users to upgrade to Linux Mint 21. And that is awesome to see. Very well done to the Linux Mint team for addressing that issue. And if you'd like to learn more about Linux Mint 21 or try out Linux Mint 21 yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. You probably noticed that last week there wasn't an episode of Twill. This was because I was at the 19th annual Southern California Linux Expo, or SCALE for short. I also made the announcement there wouldn't be an episode the week before, so hopefully everyone was aware and not disappointed that I missed a week. If you weren't aware and were missing the show, then I apologize, but it's back and we're going to have a larger than normal episode today to make up for a little bit of lost time for the last episode. So there you go. Now, anyway, this was a ton of fun and I am so glad I was able to attend Scale this year. I got to meet a lot of people from various Linux companies, hang out with some friends, meet some new friends, and best of all, Ryan and I were able to meet Jill for the first time in person and hang out, which was a ton of fun. And there are also a lot of stories that we could tell for going to scale. But since this is a news show, I won't go into too much detail here. Although, you should check out the next episode of Destination Linux, because we will go into detail in that episode. We also had a booth at scale, which was a lot of fun meeting fans and people who hadn't heard of the shows, because like I said earlier, and in the expo hall, it's good because it means they get to experience the greatest podcasts ever created for the first time. You know, 
experiencing something for the first time is one thing, but experiencing the greatest podcast ever created based on uh, that claim on a scientific study that I made up and therefore clearly unbiased opinion. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it was very nice. (laughs) If you'd like to learn more about the experience, tune into the next episode of Destination Linux, where Jill, Ryan, and I will talk about the experience in much more detail and we'll let you know about what we liked about it what our favorite parts of scale were, and even something that happened that was kind of disappointing. So be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux, episode 289. I'm also planning to make a vlog of sorts for my Tunnel Vision channel to show you all uh, some of the festivities at the conference and that sort of stuff. So be sure to subscribe to that channel for that. Also, there were a lot of great talks to attend at scale, but unfortunately, I was not able to attend as many as I wanted to since running a booth takes up a lot of time, but that's okay because I can go back and watch the streams and you can check them out too on their YouTube channel. I think they're also working on individual talks that are being uploaded to the channel, but right now you can still check out the streams. So there, you'll have to pick and you know, skim through to find which talks you want. Uh, there's also a list of the different talks that happened on the website, so you can kind of reference of where they were and that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the experience, be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux Podcast. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but it Standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean is a fantastic company that has awesome benefits. They have predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. In terms of the product docs, they have tons of documentation, literally over 2,000 document pieces of documentation. They also have a fantastic one-click marketplace, which allows you to build droplets super easy and super fast so you can get started really quickly. And they also give you support at every stage of growth with teams of one person to teams of a 1,000 people. With DigitalOcean, you can get powerful cloud computing and growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Well, in fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. This week, we saw new releases from the Slack's Linux distribution with version 11.4 and version 15. Yeah, that does sound a bit weird to have two different version numbers, but I'll clarify that in a bit. Now, the most interesting thing about this latest version of Slack's is that it once again has a version based on Slackware. Slack's originally was started as a way to simplify the process of using Slackware for users, which was certainly needed and even now still needed in a lot of people's opinions. So this is great to see that the return of the Slackware-based version of Slack's is here. For those unaware, like I said, Slack's was originally started as a derivative of Slackware, but later switched to being Debian-based and has been based on Debian for about five years now. While it's not confirmed, I suspect this is likely due to the length of time between releases of the Slackware versions, which can be very many years. Now that Slackware 15 is out, we have a new version of Slacks based on Slackware 15, which is where the version of Slacks 15 comes from. For those Slacks users who prefer Debian, 
you don't have to worry. The Debian version is still going to be maintained. And also, we saw a new release for this week with Slacks 11.4 based on Debian 11.4. This is the reason for the different version numbers based on what we were talking about for this these the base distros that they're using. Now, with that said, I like to request that they change how they differentiate between between these things because I suspect that versioning system to become a bit of a problem for some. It is good that they make it clear on the download page which one you're getting at what time, but it's bound to come up again based on the the version numbers at some point. It's really nice to see Slack's continuing development of the Slackware version as it was a good go-to option for Slackware-based distros, but I'm also glad that they are continuing the Debian edition as well for those who want to look at it. And if you'd like to learn more or you know give Slacks a try, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about teleprompters. I know you might be thinking, what does this have to do with Linux? And that is a fair question, and I do have an answer for you. And that answer is the Linux app QPrompt. QPrompt is a very slick application that provides all sorts of great features. It has fluid scrolling, which is critical for a teleprompter, and you can change the orientation, the rotation, and mirroring to make use of the application on whatever configuration you want. And one of the coolest features that I like about QPrompt is the background transparency option. Now, KDE Plasma has the ability to lower and raise the opacity. I've talked about that in a previous video of on my channel of like basically you can control the entire opacity of the window. And I use that often on various applications. But QPrompt developer showed me why using the built-in transparency was a better option. And I totally agree it is now. See, QPrompt's transparency only affects the background and not the text. So the text is scrolling, but still having 100% opacity. That is so much better than what I was doing the first time I used QPrompt. So, well, yes, if you're curious, I do use a teleprompter to make this show. This show is not necessarily scripted word for word or anything like that, but it is kind of scripted in a way, but more, I guess, accurately to describe it as outlined or very outlined, because that allows me to not lose my place in the show or a topic. And since I cover so many topics every week, there is no way for me to memorize all the content of each topic for every episode of the show. So that's why I use an application like this and to keep track of all of it. Now, what's great about this is that I originally covered this application on Twill 182, and it was just kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision. While I was recording the show, I decided, you know what, since I'm covering a teleprompter app, I might as well start giving it a shot and using it to make that episode of Twill. And I've been using that application ever since that episode. So, there you go. But anyway, let's talk about QPrompt 1.1. The latest version adds several new features and bug fixes from 1.0. 1.1 has better performance, improved multi-screen setup, better file handling, automatic reloading of open documents, the ability to loop the, the script at the end. They added support for four new languages and much, much more. Another cool thing about this app is that QPrompt supports all of the major universal Linux app formats, which is fantastic so you can choose whichever format you prefer. You can use QPrompt as an app image or a snap or my preference as a flat pack and a lot of cool stuff. I mean, it's if you have any need for a teleprompter, I would definitely suggest checking out QPrompt. And if you'd like to learn more about this application, you can find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is everyone's favorite category, legal news. This week on the docket is the Fedora project as they've made an announcement to change some stuff regarding Creative Commons. 
Now, there has been a lot of confusion around this topic, so I wanted to feature this on the show to clarify some things. There are reports of people claiming that they're disallowing all of Creative Commons, and that is not what's happening here. So this is a change in relation to the CC0 version of Creative Commons, which essentially is related to public domain kind of declarations, or as close as possible in jurisdictions that don't have a public domain. Now, the Fedora project has allowed this the distribution of code under this license, but the policy is changing that CC0 will no longer be allowed for code. The reason for the change, they say, is over a long period of time, a consensus has been building in FOSS that licenses that preclude any form of patent licensing or patent forbearance cannot be considered FOSS. CC0 has a clause that says, no trademark or patent rights held by a firmer are waived, abandoned, surrendered, licensed, or otherwise affected by this document. Now, first of all, it makes sense to not waive trademark rights, but patent stuff, that seems a bit odd to be included in here. Now, there is still a discussion as to whether existing CC0 license packages will be allowed to stay in the repo or not, or maybe that they need to have a license change or something like that. We'll have to wait and see on that particular piece. But I wanted to clarify and summarize this topic because uh, Creative Commons is not being disallowed, but rather CC0 is being disallowed for code specifically due to the stipulation that rights are not being waived for patents. This is important because to truly be a public domain in regards to the United States concept of public domain, everything has to be allowed with nothing waived, except I guess the trademark, but that's not really even relevant because it's a completely different type of legal classification. It's not necessarily related to this anyway, so I'm not really sure why that's there. But I also think it is worth noting that a lot of people recommend not using Creative Commons for code anyway because it it's really created for art and various kinds of assets rather than code. That is why you'll see often uh, projects that will use both GPL and Creative Commons or some other combination. And ultimately, I think this decision makes sense to do as it clarifies licensing better for developers. But if you'd like to let us know what you think in the comments below, I'd be definitely interested to see what your opinions are of that. And for those who would like to learn more about this, you will find links in the show notes. In some other somewhat legal news, but more app news related, DreamWorks Animation announced this week that they intend to release their award-winning production renderer, Moonray, as open source software later this year. This is awesome news because for those unaware, DreamWorks Moonray renderer has been used for films like How to Train Your Dragon, The Bad Guys, and many other animated films for the past 10 years or so. Because Moonray has been in development for over 10 years and includes an extensive library of production-tested, physically-based materials, a USD Hydra render delegate, as well as multi-machine and cloud rendering features. So this level of software being open source could be a huge benefit to the open animation ecosystem. So I'm very happy to see this news. And you may be wondering, okay, what's the catch? Well, there doesn't seem to be a catch that I could find. It seems that DreamWorks hopes that by open sourcing Moonray that it will become an even more competitive renderer. And that makes a lot of sense because releasing this kind of software will get the, a lot of attention from people in the space as well as beyond the space. You know, for example, it certainly got my attention to add it to the show to talk about it. So there's that. And Moonray will be open sourced under the Apache 2.0 license. They are currently working on getting it ready for release, which is expected later this year, like I said. And I am so excited to see this and play with it and see what I can do with it. 
Probably not a lot, considering I'm not much of an animator, but I'm definitely going to try it out because I can't wait to see it. And I will most certainly keep you up to date when it does come out because I can't wait to try it out myself, and I'm pretty sure a lot of you would like to as well. But in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about this latest news, check the links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides a lot of different ways to do this. It has many tools like the uh, secured vault where you can store all of your passwords, the auto generator to generate passwords and usernames now, and they've also made it in compatible with the Firefox relay system and others so you can automatically generate email accounts if you would like to, and you can automatically fill in those passwords and information all for you automatically, which is just fantastic. You can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line, Bitwarden has you covered. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And bitwarden.com slash tux is where you go to get started with your account. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Party Customer Service, Bitwarden Send features, and so much more. You get all of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right, make the smart move from the, like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get your account at Bitwarden. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Some quick Ubuntu news relates to the Ubuntu 22.04.1 LTS release, as it has been delayed by a week. So it's going to be in a few days, it'll be coming out, but I wanted to cover it to let people know who are LTS users that it was supposed to come out last or this week, but it won't, it's not coming out until next week. So it's not that much of a delay, but I wanted to let you know about it because it was an issue with, there was a problem with snaps not loading, like the default Mozilla Firefox browser failing to launch when it was installed using the OEM install option. Now, if you're using the regular install option, that's not necessarily a problem, but the OEM install option would be an issue. Uh, it's also worth noting that it doesn't include the 2204 images just the 22.04.1 images. So if you already are a current user or you are installing from the existing ISOs, you're not going to be affected by this. And you may be wondering, why am I covering a delay? And that's because users who tend to stick with the LTS releases have to wait for the first point release to do upgrades. Now, each LTS comes out in April every two years. And the upgrade from the previous release always comes from the first point release a few months after each LTS. So I just wanted to let those users know who are using LTS what happened and that the expected release will still be coming on this coming Thursday, August 11th. So it's not that much of a wait. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. The Q4 OS team has announced this week the release of Q4 OS 4.10 Gemini. For those unfamiliar, Q4 OS is a Debian-based distribution which features the KDE Plasma and also the Trinity desktop. So for those unfamiliar with the Trinity desktop, essentially Trinity was a fork of KDE from back in the KDE 3.5 days and is now a fully independent desktop environment with the aim to continue the classic feel of KDE 3.5. 
In this latest release of Q4 OS 4.10, the team has upgraded Trinity Desktop to version 14.0.12, which is the latest version of Trinity, and updates to the core components of the distro with the latest versions updated with Debian 11.4. This means that it has an updated kernel. It has received many important security and bug fixes from upstream Debian as well. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Q4 OS, you'll find links in the show notes. This week, we saw a new release of 4M Linux with version 40. 4M Linux is an interesting distribution because it is geared towards those who want a very lightweight setup by featuring JWM or Joe's Window Manager. For those unfamiliar with JWM, it's also used in Puppy Linux, so you might have actually used it without knowing if you've used Puppy Linux. JWM is an interesting choice because it tries to balance features with a lightweight experience, and that seems to be kind of what 4M Linux is going for as well. And I say that because 4M Linux isn't shy from doing updates, like some distros that promote a lightweight benefit approach. 4M Linux comes with the Linux kernel 5.18, which was the latest version prior to the like basically a couple days later, but still. And Mesa 21.3.8 graphics drivers, which gives you better hardware support and also improved 3D support for both bare metal and virtual machine stuff. They've also added support uh, for, well, initial support for NVMEs uh, interface. So you can have better, uh, faster drives that you can connect with. And a lot of other things such as updates to the applications with latest LibreOffice, latest Firefox, Chromium, Thunderbird, VLC, and many more. And while there are a lot of updates that come with Forum Linux, it's not necessarily a modern distribution because it's kind of trying to aim for the lightweightness aspects. So you have to pick and choose which features you offer and that sort of thing. So depending on what your needs are, you may want to check out 4M Linux. And if that's the case for you, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have many ways to contribute via Patreon sponsors and others. You can learn more by becoming a patron at tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Ever t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing right now by going to tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store, including the new collection of Sinister Wendy stuff that we have at the store. So check that out. And if you don't know what that's about, that's relating to a one of the hosts on Hardware Addicts. And if you haven't checked that out, be sure to do it because Hardware Addicts is fantastic. And speaking of which, if you like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC for the moment until the time zones change. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Most weeks. Last week I didn't do it. Most weeks, though. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.